Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods and Seven Mile Advisors. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women leaders and rising stars in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Welcome back to Deal Us In, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods LLP and Seven Mile Advisors. I'm Ann Dorsett, and with me today are Phyllis Young and Kelsey Hitchcock. We are presenting a two-episode podcast about the progress made for and by women in the 100 years since the ratification of the 19th Amendment. We will also acknowledge that while women have come a long way, the reality is that we are still climbing, still reaching for equal pay, equal access, and an equal voice. As you will hear, we have a lot to talk about. In this episode, we will provide historical context and talk about the advances made and work still ahead for women in the workplace. This past August, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, the amendment granting women the right to vote. But we know that it took nearly 50 more years to ensure that that right extended to all women and men. Jim Crow laws enacted in the South and Midwest prevented people of color, people without an education, and people who did not own property from voting. In 1963, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act. The Civil Rights Act made clear that any state laws prohibiting access to voting were against the law, thereby opening up the franchise to all U.S. citizens. Also in that same year, Congress passed the Equal Pay Act, requiring equal pay for equal work, regardless of gender. This was the first federal law prohibiting discrimination on the basis of gender. It is also hard to imagine today that banks and credit card companies refuse to allow women to open bank accounts or to obtain credit cards unless those accounts were co-signed by their fathers, husbands, or brothers. But that was the case in the United States as recently as 1974, when Congress enacted the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. And we can't discuss the gains made by women during the 20th century without recognizing the impact of the enactment of Title IX. Passed since 1973, Title IX granted equal access to academic and athletic resources, regardless of gender. Thus, girls were given the opportunity to get off the bleachers and compete on the fields and in the courts. The doors of higher education, including the doors of military institutions, were open to women so that we could learn with and be graded against our male peers. And lastly, before turning to our discussion, the timing of our podcast allows us to give homage to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died on September 18, 2020. Justice Ginsburg was the second woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court, appointed by President Clinton in 1993. During the 70s, as an attorney, she argued and won multiple cases before the Supreme Court, including convincing the court to apply the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause to gender-based discrimination. Her voice as a Supreme Court justice remain steady and loud for the rights of the disenfranchised, particularly women. Justice Ginsburg's rallying cry was, women belong in all places where decisions are being made. And that's our goal here, to provide a voice and a platform for women working in an industry that remains heavily male-dominated. Justice Ginsburg worked tirelessly to make sure that women were in those rooms and had a seat at the table. Our goal with this podcast is to expand on that rallying cry, Women need to have their voices heard and need to be the decision makers. 
With that in mind, let's turn to our discussion. Kelsey, let's talk about women in the workplace. Thanks, Anne. Well, this weekend, I crawled my way down a rabbit hole and ended up listening to recordings of Ruth Bader Ginsburg arguing in front of the Supreme Court in those 1970s cases that Anne just mentioned. When you bring up the recordings, the pictures of the then current Supreme Court span the top of the page, and you come face to face with the nine all male justices of the then Supreme Court, just as Ruth Bader Ginsburg did when she argued sex discrimination cases. Listening to Justice Ginsburg, she noted the various ways women might face discrimination at work then limiting hours, positions, availability of benefits for women and their spouses and families. She closed her argument by quoting Sarah Grimke from 1837. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off of our necks. To which Justice Warren E. Berger replied, thank you, Mrs. Ginsburg. <laughs> I don't know how you react to that, but it took me two lessons to wrap my mind around it. The first time I didn't even notice how Justice Berger had responded to her. Justice Ginsburg, then Attorney Ginsburg, had given this incredibly eloquent, powerful, passionate argument about sex discrimination and what level of scrutiny should be applied. And at the end, right, she finishes with that kind of radical quote. And to me, it, was, it just led me to think, what are the ways that we face the types of very obvious discrimination that Justice Ginsburg mentioned in her argument? And what are the ways that we as women face less obvious means and manners of discrimination or implicit bias in the workplace? So I wanted to begin our conversation by discussing how far we have come. First, I want to say we certainly can't address all the issues facing women of all backgrounds and experiences in the workplace in this podcast or this episode. But I want to start with some background on where we are and begin a conversation on how things have improved, how they have not, and how we might make it better. So I guess the starting question is, how far have we come and what has happened in the past? We're recording this podcast on U.S. Voter Registration Day 2020. This is the 100th year that women have had the right to vote in the U.S., as Anne mentioned. Women have earned more bachelor's degrees than men since 1982, more master's degrees than men since 1987, more doctorate degrees than men since 2006. Today, women outnumber men in law school classrooms across the country. Despite the fact that women have increased in numbers in law schools in the U.S., and we'd expect that to translate to greater numbers of women as senior associates and partners, the numbers don't necessarily reflect the same increases we are seeing at the law school level. Women represent just 36.3% of attorneys at firms. Among partners, women represent only 24.5% of the group and account for just 21.5% of the equity partners. In M&A, the levels are even lower, and women account for far fewer equity partners. With respect to compensation in the U.S., women overall earn 82 cents for every dollar a man earns, and the disparity is even greater for minority women. Black women earn even less, 62 cents, 
For Hispanic women, the stats are even more grim at 54 cents on the dollar. And this is just part of the overall picture. With respect to attorneys, men are paid more per year than women. And one study showed that this pattern existed without significant variance across all attorney types and levels. Women work the same hours as men, but their billing rates and client billing fall short of men's as well. Importantly, this can impact women not just in the short term and their income year to year, but in their overall income during their careers, in their raises, in the financial opportunities they can participate in based on the amount of money they're making, and in the money they have at retirement and through Social Security. In addition to the disparity women face in unequal pay and compensation, at home, women are bearing more of the work. Most of the time, they're doing the majority, if not all, of the household chores and childcare. Women are twice as likely to be responsible for homeschooling as well during COVID. Even during lockdown, while men believe they have been doing more, 70% of women say they are fully or mostly responsible for housework, and 66% said that they were responsible for child care as well. This is time that women could be spending on income generation, making relationships, networking, and devoting otherwise to business development. Well, these are issues that often amount to a motherhood penalty with child care and household work. The unpaid labor and disproportionate housework issues don't just affect mothers. And in addition, women are also overwhelmingly serving as caretakers to their parents and their grandparents. More time spent on unpaid labor means less time spent elsewhere. Men have more time for leisure, more time for networking, and more time for business development. Women have less time for all of these things. I think it can also be said that women are doing some of this house cleaning work at the office as well. Women are often asked to handle administrative tasks such as scheduling, note-taking, and doing work of less senior positions. A recent study found that, in fact, 81% of women have been mistaken for less senior employees as compared with zero, yes, zero percent of men in one study. So that means that most men are not experiencing anyone thinking that they are any less qualified or any less senior than they are. And most women are thinking, having people think that they are less senior than they are. In one survey, while about equal male and female associates stated that they wanted to be promoted, about 20% less of women respondents wanted to make partner. It could be that women don't have a lot of examples of ways to make the job work for their lives, given that we have so few women in leadership at the higher levels of partnership, which is also an impediment to having future women in those positions. Well, having talked about all that, where do we want to start? What is your reaction to some of those statistics, some of those issues? What sticks out the most to you, Anne and Phyllis? So, you know, a couple of things really popped, Kelsey, during your discussion. And, you know, it is depressing. The statistics are depressing. 
but we have come a long way, but it's still depressing. <laughs> Justice Berger's response is just a typical microaggression that we often get, even now working with men, where our opinions are not heard and where we're often the ones asked to set up the conference call, take the notes during the meeting, all those kinds of things that you were talking about, this housekeeping in the office. And the other thing that strikes me, I started the workforce a lot earlier than you all did, and I started in the early 80s with the recognition that it was going to be a hard row to hoe. But what strikes me now when I meet younger women who are just entering the firm, they don't initially believe that it's there. And then two years later, they'll come back to me and they'll say, oh, yes, you're so right. It's getting better, but it's still there. And I think by having more women present in the room, more women as examples, that's the way that our voice will be heard and understood. Phyllis, what is your take? Yeah, I have so many thoughts going through my head. I completely agree with you, Anne, from the standpoint of we've come a long way. You hear statistics, even as recent as 19, early 1970s, women not being able to have their own credit. It, it just seems silly in a lot of ways. We've come a long way, but it sounds cliche, but we have a, a long road to go, a, a lot more to do and to accomplish to really get to where we need to be as a society and the role of women in our society. It's interesting you brought up the point about dismissing women. I read an article last year and which it was about how Americans perceive women seeking power and it had a sentence in it that really struck me as being true. I wrote it down. It's funny you should say that because I had this in front of me. The article stated that the typical strategies used by men to devalue women are dismissing, controlling, sexualizing, teasing, criticizing, interrupting, psychopathologizing, humiliating and abusing. And so I, I thought about that when I was reading the article. At what times have those strategies been used against me as a woman in the workplace? And I could think of, you know, specific examples, specific examples since the beginning of my career and probably even before then, you know, when I was in school and that sort of thing. So my overall reaction is just, yes, it, we've come really far, but we still have just a long way to go to really get to where we need to be with women in leadership positions, certainly in, you know, whether it's law firms, PE firms, M&A. And, you know, again, you know, just going back to Justice Ginsburg, I think the role that she played, honestly, it's just really, it's hard to really grasp in some ways that that one person and all that she did really for women, we could be learning about that really for decades and you know, the impact that really just that one person had on our society. I think related to a lot of what you mentioned from the article, Phyllis, a lot of those ways of dismissing or interrupting or I don't know what the psychology word was, but 
I'm guessing that's like when people say, oh, she's crazy or she's yeah. emotional or things like that. Yeah. Which is a kind of a different way of dismissing, right? What do you think are some of the bigger ways that we still see discrimination in the workplace as attorneys today? I'm going to flip that. And I'm going to say, where do I see improvement and in intentionality? Because I've been saying this for 20 years. I've been a lawyer for 30 years. I've been saying this for 20 years that it has to be intentional, involving women in client meetings, involving women in placing them in higher roles, higher involvement. It has to be intentional. And I do see that intentionality. One of the things that I have seen is more women attorneys leading deals, more women on the client side, not particularly the PE side, although there are more and more women every day, but on the client side. And I think that helps as well. So I think we have to remain intentional. We have to encourage our male counterparts to be intentional, to not just stroll out the door with their gang of buddies. That's where you form relationships and you see the person beyond the written word. But to include women in those after-hours events, to include women in pitches, to include women face-to-face -face meetings or nowadays phone calls with clients. Intentionality, it is there and that's where we get results. When you see male counterparts being intentional and including women, that's where you see results. I agree. I think you know, I've been at law firms now going on 20 years, and I do see, I've seen a progression of improvement over my time in law firms. It's almost like we started with these bigger issues, and it, it's gotten more refined as far as how we're treating these issues of women in the workplace. And so, for instance, now I think there is a focus on looking at our own biases and that sort of thing to really, I don't think there are people who are intentionally now, maybe there are some, but I think in general now, people do not have the mindset of intentional bias against women mm -hmm. in the law firm workplace. But there's still, you know, that sort of implicit biases that we have and understanding those biases and how they influence our decision making. And so I think we've become sort of more sophisticated in how we're thinking about those issues and treating them, but there's still some things, and uh, Kelsey, you brought up about women still having to bear a lot of responsibility in their own households, and things like COVID-19 right now has really exacerbated that in terms of women, you know, women attorneys who are billing 200 hours a month or whatever number of hours they're billing for their clients, and also homeschooling their children and taking care of household responsibilities and you know, doing their work in the middle of the night, <laughs> that sort of thing. I think a lot of that's going on right now. So I think 
we've gotten better. There are still some issues that where it's out of proportion as far as there's the different types of outside of workplace responsibilities that women have. And so we have to be able to deal with that and in a better way and figure out those better ways. And actually, it's kind of interesting, I think, now that more people are working from home, typically or historically, when we were all working in the workplace and a woman had to go on maternity leave, for example, and she was working, maybe working from home or when she was transitioning back into working in the office, she was spending more time maybe working at home and that sort of thing. And I think people even had these biases about, oh, you can't really get anything done when you're working at home or you're not being efficient or you're not really working. So in some ways, COVID-19 and everybody working from home has maybe helped to change that perception and help to change even how we think about the day and how we work throughout the day. It was one thing to be in the office at you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock and sitting at your desk for the next, I don't know, 8 to 10 or whatever hours and then going home versus you know, now maybe the way people are working, maybe some of that's going on, but people are maybe taking little breaks in between or they're going to, they're having lunch and with their family or, you know, picking up the day again at seven or eight o'clock in the evening after dinner. So, you know, maybe there are actually some ways that everyone working from home and that concept of work is, you know, maybe ultimately will help benefit women in the workplace. I know one of the suggestions for law firms for kind of improving the numbers for women from Law 360 has been, among other things, more programs to support mothers and flexible schedules and options for returning after an absence and support for new parents. So I think that's right in line, Phyllis, with what, with what you're saying, that hopefully one good thing to come out of this pandemic is in people working from home, seeing that some of these more flexible arrangements might be workable for women and for men, right? Because, I mean, when we talk about support for new parents, I think that needs to be too directional or else that's leading to this very same or is based on the very same bias that women are care, are the caregivers, are the women, are, are the, the mothers are the ones that are to be in charge of childcare, right? If you don't offer lateral kind of or mutual, I guess, mutually inclusive programs. How have you seen things improve throughout your careers in respect to women in the workplace? And do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I do think that there is more flexibility and less penalty for taking a flexible schedule. I am on reduced hours. I don't think anybody realizes that based on when I get emails, but I don't feel penalized for being on a reduced hour schedule. And it is something that has helped me a lot get more of that balance. And when Phyllis was talking about the work-life balance issues, which still remain tipped against women, I think back to the president of Tufts, and I can't remember 
his name or when he made his speech, but it was sometime in the early 2000s, and he said, work-life balance issues will be addressed once work-life issues are shared equally between men and women. And one of the things that does make me feel good is the fact that a lot of our younger male counterparts are taking paternity leave when they have a child. It's not as long as the time that mothers take, but the fact that they're even taking it, to me, is a good sign. I think there is much more, the scales on the work-life balance are starting to tip towards men, younger men. And I think that's only going to help everybody. And then, like I said, I just think the fact that by having this flexible schedule, by engaging women, it makes you want to stay and work in the firm. So I think we still see a lot of attrition of women as they go up through the ranks, but the attrition is less than it was when I first started. And I think that's directly related to having men give them work that is satisfying, challenging, and that gives them recognition. And I do see that more than I did when I started out in my career. And then secondly, having women at the top now supporting other women and bringing other women along. When I first started, the women at the top, I believe, enjoyed being the only woman in the room. And I believe they put hurdles up against women coming up that were much higher than the hurdles they placed with our male counterpart. And I see that a huge change in that regard. I see the the women leaders that I know now work hard at keeping women at the table, of ensuring that the other women are being engaged and do have careers. So that's a, a really big change that I've seen. For me, I think I definitely agree that Compared to when I started my legal career, compared to now, there is a lot more diversity in leadership. Still not where we could be or should be. There's more diversity in terms of women and minorities in uh, law firm leadership positions. And so I think that helps the younger women, the younger attorneys who are coming up to actually have those role models that they can look to and also hopefully inspire them as well. For me, it's interesting when I reflect back on when I was a junior or mid-level or even a senior associate, I felt like I definitely worked really hard and I built lots of hours and there were probably maybe enough times maybe just to count on one hand and have some have a couple fingers left over where I was mistaken for a paralegal or something like that. But generally I would say I didn't feel that I'll say that when I was an associate I didn't feel like I was sort of actively being pushed down because I was an attorney. What was interesting to me was when I became partner, all of a sudden I could really see the uh, way that people treated a woman partner at a big firm. And that to me was really when I started to see more actually even aggression from male attorneys 
that were counterparties on deals and their negotiation tactics and things like that compared to even when I was a senior associate, maybe negotiating a deal versus being a partner. And so I thought that was, to me, it was interesting and fascinating, also annoying because it, it would mean that I'd have to maybe work that much harder or try to figure out, well, how am I going to address this person and their personality issues and that sort of thing. But I found, to me, that was really when I could really see a lot of the issues um, that concerned women in the workplace when I became an actual partner. I think part of that, I mean, I think there's so many reasons that was happening. And sometimes it was almost like people... It's almost like they didn't know which of their biases that they needed to act on when they were communicating with me. Like they kind of struggled with, okay, here's my senior woman who's a partner at a major law firm who knows what she's talking about, is doing an excellent job representing her client. And, you know, there's some intimidation almost because of that, because, you know, you really come across more as an equal now. And so they just didn't really know how to react to that. but. Within the law firm and within organizations, as far as improvement, I definitely see a lot more intentionality within law firms as far as programs and policies and, you know, a real commitment to make things work for women. So, like I said before, I think we have, we've come a long way, but we still have a ways to go. Thanks, Kelsey and Phyllis. As we close this episode, I hope that listeners will return to the second podcast on this topic, where we continue our discussion, focusing on women in leadership roles. As always, please send any comments and suggestions for speakers, issues to discuss, and questions for our panel. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please go to our website at www.dlsnpodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you.